and welcome back to The Mason Jar here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, and since it's The Mason Jar, I'm joined by Cindy Rollins. Cindy, how's it going? Welcome back to your show. I don't know why I'm even here. Oh, because we need you desperately. Um, (laughs) We need someone to to ask you questions. (laughs) That's right. I actually need someone to answer the questions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are here uh, for a Q&A episode. This is the April 2018 a Q&A episode. And what I did this month is I went and got a bunch of different questions that are based on topics that people are discussing on the Mere Motherhood Facebook group. So some of these people may have seen, but they're not things that you necessarily weighed in on. There is, of course, lots of great advice out there from from so many uh, experienced and wise moms. Uh, But I thought, let's pitch some of these to Cindy and see what advice she has or what answers she has for some of these. Um, I asked a couple of friends for some questions that they had as well because there's been some things we've been talking about here in the office. And so I drew from a couple of their questions as well. So um, it's kind of a speed round. We won't, we won't necessarily spend... I think I've got eight or nine questions here. So we won't spend quite as long on a lot of these as we sometimes do on this episode. But I thought this way we might be able to touch on more things. And some of them are a little more fun. You know, They're not necessarily so uh, deep and highfalutin can we use that can we use oh, there we go we're not going to be highfalutin today <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. that's good <laughs> <laughs> which because when i think of cindy i when i think of you i definitely think of highfalutin you do <laughs> oh, oh. no i know you don't <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> well before we dive in um to the questions i want to do we've got a sponsor that i want to say a quick word from um we have some friends over at the Templeton Honors College who are sponsoring this month. And if you want to delve into the world of J.R.R. Tolkien, who I think we all know a little bit about, and you have some questions about what role fantasy literature has to play in our faith, or if you're just interested in spending a few days questioning the relationship between faith and politics, then join the Templeton Honors College and the St. Basil Institute for Orthodox Thought and Culture. Um, and those two programs are going to have a high school age uh, student's uh, intensive this July. So they have some courses called Confronting Dragons for the first week. And then this, the course for the second week is called Politics in a Post-Christian World. So again, that's Confronting Dragons for the first week and Politics in a Post-Christian World for the second. There's only a few spots left in the program. So if you ha- head over to templetonhonorscollege.com slash summer, you can find out some more, more information on that. And again, this is a collaboration between the Templeton Honors College and the St. Basil Institute for Orthodox Thought and Culture. Um, and it's uh, Tolkien and the role of fantasy literature and, uh, and faith. And then um, the second part is the relationship between faith and politics. So again, if you're interested in that, that's templetonhonorscollege.com slash summer. And it's a pretty cool program. It, it sounds like something I would want to do. Um, and uh, I recommend that if you are interested or you have a student who might be interested in something like that this summer, a little extra bit of summer study, then uh, check that out. Sounds good. Uh, it sounds like something you'd be interested in, the, the role of fantasy literature and playing our faith. Are you a big fantasy fan? Though? I mean, I know you like Tolkien, but did you, did you read a lot of fantasy? I mean, you um, I have read the love some... of mystery novels. I like time travel. I'm a big okay. time travel fan. So okay. I do like some fantasy. I will read fantasy, but I'm not, I, I'm not obsessive over fantasy. And it's there's such a wide range of quality That's among true. fantasy that you just have to be careful you don't get down some awful... Did, rabbit hole did you have any kids any of your boys that were like just diehard tolkien aficionados well my son andrew loves fantasy he likes andrew peterson's books he liked oh, yeah, all, yeah. any any kind of fantasy he loved the whole lord of the rings the hobbit he, i mean i didn't have any kids that went out and dressed up like characters and and acted like that like went to the movies and got their first ticket and you know that kind of nerdy <laughs> fantasy fan they, were, I mean, they the, weren't in the costume no at, nobody would have done showing. that yeah <laughs> i mean i think once you know i had a few boys the other boys were too if they were going to go that way they would have been hounded out of existence <laughs> by their brothers so that didn't yeah. happen in our family but um i mean they did some things where they i mean they did some english country dancing once so i mean they Ooh. did um, you know lower themselves to to <laughs> act, act from different time periods <laughs> But um, yeah, no, but I, but I, um, but, but then Alex came along and, and because Andrew was just love fantasy, 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 Alex would not read anything fantasy. It was like, if Andrew Mm. liked that book, he wasn't going to like it. Uh, So he out of hand dismissed all fantasy, which a lot of children's series or, you know, mid teen series are fantasy. And I felt like, you know, he 
unnecessarily cut himself out of a lot of really good books. Mm, yeah, limited himself. Yes. <laughs> well, okay. So speaking of boys and reading, this first question has to do with that very topic. Oh, okay. um, I saw somebody posted on the Facebook group and I didn't, I apologize. I didn't write down all the names of all the people that posted on this because technically they weren't submitting questions for the, for me right. to share. So we're doing this without their permission. Well, I'm not, I'm just talking about topics. I'm not saying their names or anything. Right. Right. Um, so I'm take, I'm borrowing from some of the topics that, uh, that, uh, that people were bringing up. Okay. So this first question, you should have some experience with this. Uh, someone mentioned that they were going on a, car trip and that they were thinking that memorizing some poems would be um, a good idea for for their for their long car trip and they were saying that they have mostly little boys so i'm going to be listening closely to this answer but do you have any recommended poems that are good for young boys to memorize any of your favorites wow well i mean almost any of the for young boys i love the robert louis stevenson poems Mm. all, all of those um are good. I mean, there's so many of them and, and they come up in real life so often. Mm. Um, so many times you're, you know, the one about the autumn fires. I mean, you walk by an autumn fire and you immediately have that poem going through your mind and, and you say it or, or um, the, the, in, the in, in winter, I get up at night and dress by yellow candlelight in summer quite the other way. I have to go to bed by day. <laughs> um, that's a perfect poem for boys because it is, they do get frustrated when mm-hmm. it's light outside in the middle mm-hmm. of the summer and it's, you know, 10 o'clock, but they still have to go to bed. <laughs> it's expressing one of their deepest frustrations. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> if you have that poem ready to, to sling out, um, it can, it can either be annoying or it can also be like, yeah, this is, you know, this is one of life's problems that <laughs> other people have also faced through the ages. <laughs> So I, I like Robert Louis Stevenson for that. And the, and the language is great to boot. Like it's also. Oh, you know, absolutely. You know, absolutely. There's good. The rhythms are fun. They're, they're not terribly challenging to memorize either. So young kids can, young kids can do them. Oh no. All of them are quite easy to memorize and mo- most of them and, and the swing and, and a bunch of those are, are just really wonderful um, poems for, for that thing. I like to do, there's a few, um, um, hardy poems that that might if you're talking little boys that probably wouldn't do well um, there, Eugene Field has a few poems that are easy to memorize for younger boys but even um some of the uh like in the 101 famous poem books there's a few that young boys can memorize uh, even the charge of the light brigade is not oh, yeah. so hard yeah. that a young boy couldn't memorize it if he heard it enough times i have uh, one of the students at our school is uh, seven and if you read something to him twice he has it completely memorized so um, <laughs> that's crazy I'm, I'm looking at him thinking horatius at the bridge is your next poem <laughs> that you're going to memorize <laughs> because so few people the book of psalms yeah there you go yeah and, and those of course the psalms are perfect for that but um mm. those are a few i'm um, just right off the top of my head without having a book in front of me um, any, any nursery rhymes that there's some nursery rhymes that are longer and, or there are nursery rhyme books that have nice poems in them. Mm, yeah. Or prayers, little prayers. Those are nice. As long as they're not too sappy, they're good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of sappy and boys, someone, <laughs> someone mentioned something that you've experienced They mentioned that their son is getting married and that they were looking for a meaningful gift to give. So I was wondering, this is, this is obviously, um, you've had some of your boys have gotten married. Yeah, and yeah. now this, I assume this is something where partly this is going to depend on the per, the particular relationship between sure. the, mother and the son and things that the son's interested in, all that kind of stuff. But have you, do you have any advice, any, any uh, tips for someone who's got a son who's getting married and wants to come up with a meaningful gift idea? Yeah. You know, I don't, I'm not good at that because I'll tell you why I've just totally given up. We have 28, like today, this morning I woke up and I needed to get somebody a birthday gift. Their birthday was today and I don't live near them. So I got on my, my trusty Amazon account, (laughs) sent them there, my trusty Amazon gift card (laughs) with us. We mostly give our kids money at that point because we know, I, I think because coming from our own perspective and how poor we were and how, how hard those years are, it just seems like, but there are, I, I know that there are meaningful things that you can give. I mean, I've given my kids old books around the house. I mean, not, I haven't wrapped them up, but I could see doing that. I could see saying, um, um, I'm going to give you this a book 
that was special to our family. Mm. Um, yeah. That, that kind, kind of start of your own family's library. Yes. Yeah. To start yeah. your family library. And I have done that for grandkids. You know, all, all the, I try to give each set of grandchildren a, a set of, of Winnie the Pooh books and that, that sort of thing. But um, as far as the wedding gifts, now my son gave me a beautiful present for um, his wedding. He did his wife. They're very thoughtful like that. And they, we should probably have them on and ask them for a <laughs> gift. But he gave me his birthstone as a necklace. So um, hmm. I thought that was really sweet. Um, so this person should go to her son and just kind of drop some hints. Yeah, like yeah. what? Yeah, what is meaningful to you? Um, but but with so many people in my family, I I just um, have run out of mental ability to think straight. <laughs> I mean, Alex's birthday was Sunday, Saturday, and I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna take you shopping. You can buy whatever you want to buy, <laughs> which he loved. He loved that. It was fine. Um, it was one of the, the least exciting birthdays we've ever had because uh, my husband was working uh, in an outage, so that means he's not available at all. And um, Andrew went out of town and nobody else could come because we just had a big birthday for my dad and everybody had been there. Mm. So it was just like, okay, Alex, Poor Alex, mom is taking you shopping. That's your birthday. So, so yeah, not the person to ask that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, after the last episode that we did on uh, what you did the interview on nature study. There were a lot of comments and questions on the Facebook page or the Facebook group, I guess, uh, about um, different journals and art supplies and kinds of colored pencils and things like that for, for nature journals. Do you have any favorite supplies, any favorite journal brands or, or other kinds of supplies that you really uh, like to keep stocked or that you, that you buy when you run out? Yeah, I mean, I always have tons of barrel pencils. If they're on sale, I buy them. Now, I will say this. People have said the quality has gone down a little bit over the years. Like, they're not um, – they're, they're cheaper than they used to be. So, I'm, I'm going to say that that's probably true. Um, but um, I still I still default to the barrel um, brand of, of the Prismacolor. And then they have some watercolors. Mm. And those are very good pencils to have on hand. And then, um, you know, Jeanette mentioned the Prang watercolors. I just buy, um, I, I have, you know, you can either get the tubes of watercolor or you can get the nice little palettes. And, and I think what they say is to get a white in a tube, like the rest of it get um, in just one of the little palettes that you can get, just get it high quality, uh, like the Prang hmm. um, and that, that and, and, and I'm not really good at that. I mean, I'm. I always kept the barrel print pencils and we always had good paper, good, good nature notebooks. But, um, that was really all that I had besides the books, did besides you, having lots of nature books around the house. Did you have a particular notebook brand that you like to use or sketchbook brand or anything like that? Well, I did for years and I can't find them anymore, but, um, the, um, Greenleaf press, uh, I think, I don't know if they're still out there, but I think they might be, but they used to sell very nice hardcover, uh, uh, books. And you, when you bought them, you could, um, like even draw something, the covers had real nice, like covers where you could canvas covers that you could paint or draw on if you wanted to. Mm. And the kids always used to, probably more like scribble on the covers but they <laughs> yeah. did they design you know would put designs on the cover so I really like those and especially you could always tell whose was whose because of, they had decorated the covers nicely but now <laughs> I just get go I just go to the art supply store and grab a book here you know a spiral bound book or I know there's some nice my son gave me a really nice journal that could be used as a nature notebook that has really nice uh, like watercolor paper for the journal and you could technically it, it's one of those nice leather books that you you know have the strap that you wrap around it so you could use that kind of thing but um for the littler guys i just get some small the smaller um just a smaller notebook and then as they get a bigger you might get a bigger notebook okay next question it's about baseball season now and somebody yes. posted on there about baseball books. Um, I think you've mentioned a few baseball books before. Do you have any favorite baseball books um, that are worth checking out? Wow, that's a good question. Um, let me think about that. The the uh, well, the Ted Williams book is a must-have for the baseball. But if you want a baseball book, it's um, 
my uh, boy, what is it? So Ted Williams's book on baseball, hitting the art of hitting, I think is what it's called. Maybe not called that, but it's definitely um, the best baseball book for actual playing baseball. You can study that book and become a better baseball player. Mm. And then um, I, I just found out that I bought recently at a book sale or at a, at a used bookstore on the way home from Kindred. Um, some of the girls that were driving an, a different way, we thought they were going a different way than we went. And they said they had stopped at a bookstore. And Jeanette in the car said, oh, I wish we could have stopped at a bookstore. And I said, well, we really need to get home. And then we passed this bookstore. And I said, Jeanette, do you want to go to that bookstore? And she said, yes, please. And so we <laughs> went around and our friends were in that very bookstore. And we were like, halfway between our home we thought they were on a different road and we had actually made a wrong turn but anyway that's how it, it is when you have that disease and I ended up buying a couple of uh, childhood of famous Americans one on Joe DiMaggio and one on Lou Gehrig and um, we've already, my students have already read those now because they're super easy to read but they're so I don't know what other the Joe DiMaggio one is a little disappointing because he didn't really have all that great character. <laughs> so, <laughs> apparently it started young um, with him, but the Lou Gehrig uh, one's really good. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, uh, the, um, Drake said to me the other day, he said, well, Joe DiMaggio said he hated school and he never learned anything in school in his whole life. And I was like, yeah, but I bet he learned a lot in life. <laughs> I'm trying to make a recovery from that. So I don't necessarily <laughs> recommend the Joe DiMaggio book, but um but I do, there, there's some other, George Will has a few baseball books. There's, mm -hmm. there's a book called the brothers K and it's not, and by that, I don't mean a, a, a nickname for the brothers care Moscow, but <laughs> I mean, um, there is a book by somebody named the brothers K, which is a really interesting, fun baseball story. And um, I enjoyed that a lot, but, um, yeah, my dad has all the baseball books. I just don't know what they are. Maybe we should do a uh, Facebook post with if you if you come up with any, maybe we could post a few on Facebook or if anybody else yeah. has, any, has any favorite baseball books, those could get posted. Yeah, I have some baseball books in a, in a bin somewhere around here that my dad gave to my son and he hasn't come to get them yet. So I do have a bin of baseball books around here. <laughs> okay, uh, next question. Well, first of all, by the way, have you been watching any baseball? Have you had any time oh, to watch yeah. any of your Cincinnati Reds yet? I haven't watched the Reds yet. I have watched, I watched the Braves opening day and it was really fun because uh, we had a goal to score that day. Our, our one goal was that could the Braves actually get a run on opening day? We didn't want to win. We didn't want to be haughty, but <laughs> we actually won the game and the Braves have gone on to do really well this season, except the other day they lost after being ahead um, eight runs. They oh, came I saw that. Yeah, that was painful. Yeah, that's so, about as bad as it gets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I have been watching Alex play, and he's been doing really well. So um, that's been what most of my time has taken up right now. Today's a, a lot of times they leave Wednesday for rainouts, so we didn't have a game today. And um, we, we will have to um, – that we have games Thursday, Friday, Saturday um, coming up here, double, some doubleheaders. So we're going to have a busy, busy baseball weekend, which I love. I love every second of it. I love to be outside. I love just watching the game, getting, getting my head into the game. So much fun. Hmm. Well, my boys are doing – uh, coach pitch this year. So there's oh. that next level up and uh, it's five and six year olds. And, um, yesterday I've kind of been helping out of practice when I can, um, just cause they need dads to help out. So oh, they, yeah. they were in the batting cage and they had a contest to see who could, they each had nine ball. They had a, nine balls in the bucket and they each got to, um, uh, to hit nine of them and whoever got the most got a prize. I don't remember what it was, but, um, Jeremiah went first and he had already been in the cage practicing oh. for a little while. And then he, but he had five of the nine, got five really solid hits, you know, um, that was pretty good. And then when the, when Coulter got up, he was, Coulter was the last second to the last person. I think Jeremiah still had the lead. Oh. Coulter hit seven and broke his brother's record. So uh. Coulter, Coulter won the competition for yesterday at the practice. So he well, was pretty proud of that. So he well, had seven of nine. 
Well, tell him way to go. That's awesome. That's pretty good in baseball to hit yeah. that many. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're re- they're really enjoying it. It's fun because they're at that age now where like they want to watch. They'll you know I'm a Brewers fan, so they'll watch me a couple innings before bed with me, or they'll watch part of a day game if they can. And they're actually starting to you know know a little bit what's going on and all that. So yeah, because um, they really that's all imitation. They learn by imitation, and the more they watch those games, they. Yep. I mean, you'll see them just adapt the, their stance, their yep. this, their that. The, the little practice swings, tapping the plate. Yeah, like, no yes. one ever teaches the kids to tap the plate with the bat, right? Yes. No. I've, they've well, never my, had a coach teach them that. <laughs> well, my husband get, gets a kick out of it because when they're on TV, they have to put the glove in front of their face in order to make sure that the other team doesn't pick up on their like lip read their what oh, they're yeah. saying. And all these high school kids aren't on TV, but yeah. they're still doing it. Yeah, they still do it now. Everybody does this. Suddenly everybody puts their glove over their head. Oh yeah, we might <laughs> pan in with our little cameras. <laughs> Catch what you're saying. But it's so funny. But yeah, and, and coach pitch is the best. I mean, I, I would some of the happiest moments of my whole life have been at Coach Pitch baseball. I love watching Coach Pitch. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's great because you know their their hand art coordination is starting to get there. They're starting to feel it, and they're starting to be able to get outs here and there. But then you'll you still see those crazy plays where the ball goes. They'll field it, and the ball goes way past the first baseman, and somehow the the hitter ends up at third base on the dribbler, the the pitcher. Yes, <laughs> yes. So there's still those moments that are funny, that are just like little kid hilarious, and you just kind of have to chuckle. And then sometimes they can actually make plays, and they get so excited when they really make a real play. And that's, you know, just seeing little bits of development here and there and how happy and excited they get. Yeah. Some kids like, yeah, but you see that all the time where the one, you know, kids, everybody's looking at the daisies, but then there's the one kid running from first to second (laughs) and third, making all the plays on the field. Yeah. It's funny because Jeremiah is lefty. So he hits it pretty well with contact, but he's just turned five. So he's one of the younger kids, he's one of the smaller kids, but he'll hit it a little bit. He's a lefty. He can throw straight, but not crazy hard. And he hits it, but not terribly hard. And because he's a lefty, he almost always hits it to the second baseman or the first baseman. So Mm -hmm. by the time he gets to first base, the ball's usually beating him there. (laughs) So he'll get the hit, but he gets up. He gets waste, you know, he gets a lot of outs just because it goes right to the first baseman, but he doesn't care at all. <laughs> yeah. It feels good to hit the ball. And, exactly. And eventually exactly. that, that'll pay off. If you can hit the ball, it eventually it'll pay off. That's, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Uh, speaking of paying off, here's a question about uh, starting with Shakespeare. Someone just asked if you had any recommendations for starting with Shakespeare, um, whether there are any kind of pre books that you can read before you actually read Shakespeare. And we've talked about this a little bit, but then also if you have any one or two plays that you recommend once you're starting to read the actual plays that you just think are good, you know, for getting kids prepared to read the harder plays. Yeah. I mean, I think a Midsummer Night's Dream is a great place to start because mm. it, it's long, but it has, because of that, it changes up a, a bit. You have this scene and that scene and they're all quite different. And I think it holds their attention a little bit. And it's got some humor. And when, when, you know, when one of the characters' head is turned into a donkey's head, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that most kids find that humorous and will laugh at that. And, and, the, and the scenes are very funny. So I like A Midsummer Night's Dream um, for, for kids. The Tempest is a really good shorter play that you can do that has some memorable lines in it. Um, it, it, it's hard to start the histories, even though the histories are some of the best plays that Shakespeare has. has. Um, it's hard to start that with young kids. They, they yeah. do so much more enjoy the, um, the story. Some of the, um, the oh, like the Two Gentlemen of Verona, which is, it, that's not a good one to start with, but there's another play that's almost, it, there's like three plays where there's two characters and they, they all get mixed up and all four of them are mixed up. And by the time Shakespeare explores that for the third time, that play is so much better, but I can't think of which one is which on that. Um, I'd have to see the list, but that, those are good. Um, the Taming of the Shrew is not a bad play to start with. Um, the um, the I'm trying to think of what my student loved this year, The Merchant of Venice. We read that and it was his favorite. Play. He he could pretty much tell you every just as a synopsis. He knows all the plays very well. We have a poster and he every day he he studies the poster and tells me something new. He's learned about um, and, and I bought the poster at the Globe in England not to brag, but that's where I bought that poster. 
and it's just, I think you just you just bragged a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think I did. Now I bragged twice. Well, that was the other one. But anyway, um, he he um, so he has this poster, and he loves to do that. And he loved the Merchant of Venice, which really took me by surprise because I didn't think that, you know, you wouldn't want to start with King Lear. You wouldn't want to start with Othello, but you would probably keep to one of the comedies. And, um, and some of the, I mean, Hamlet and Macbeth are not difficult. Well, Hamlet's pretty difficult, but the basic story is not that difficult, but they're not the greatest place to start because they're, they are, um, they are quite, you know, dramatic and, and, um, deep. And, yeah. and bloody, bloody, I guess you could say. Um, do you like the the Charles and Mary Lamb books? I do. I like them. I I I I often read the Nesbit books rather than oh, the yeah, Lamb yeah, yeah. books. I yeah. like the uh, as different people have different opinions. But right now there are several um, people that have put out um, books that have um, that that are our picture books of Shakespeare stories. There's a lot of that right now. And I have seen a couple, um, I, I really wonderful adaptations of, um, I bought the Tempest and I'm trying to see real quick here if I can find, um, who the author of was of that when I bought that, um, from, cause we studied the Tempest. And are you Googling while you talk? Yes, I'm, I am. <laughs> so it's Marianne and my, Mayor. You're doing a pretty good job buying time. Okay. <laughs> yes. So, so the book, The Tempest, was by Marianne Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R, and Marianna. Okay. And I don't know if she did any other books. It looks like she has done some pretty cool books. But The Tempest, she did a wonderful job on. And then I have a Macbeth in my room that somebody brought to the school that I Maybe Joe Nesbo, maybe that is who did that. Okay. Um, yes, okay. I think it is. But anyway, okay. yeah. those no, that's not it. Um, that was that's that that is actually a murder mystery that I <laughs> did not. You didn't um, like it? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no, I just saw that and I'm just like, that is not there. That, um, but that author has, t- has made some picture books. There's another author that has done some picture books, and and there's actually online. There's a thing called Shakespeare for Children hmm. that on YouTube you can watch their um, their cartoons of the play. They're they're like clay. Some of them are claymation. I think they might all be claymation, but hmm. it's like Wallace and Gromit, but Shakespeare. Oh stuff. yeah, huh. those are really well done. Um, that's called Shakespeare for Children. Uh, you know what? I don't know about those. Yeah, um, I just saw uh, them the other day. We watched all of them, but uh, um, I think I'm gonna have to Google that. Yeah, well, I'll have to, let's see if I can, Shakespeare for children. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I've lost. Um, <laughs> you were buying yeah, time pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what those are called. I don't see them right here. They're um, well, claymation. We'll, we'll see if we can find them and then we can post them in the show notes. Okay, that'll be we'll, good. We'll try to yeah. post all these different resources in the show notes. Um, yeah. I'll I mean, have... every once in a while, there's something like they interpret like a little off color that you, they wouldn't have to, but... Um, there like um, to the degree that most kids will actually get it no no okay. not, not at all but okay. the parent might be oh that's was that off color you're yeah, kind of like yeah. was that you're not sure you're taking it back maybe. for a second yeah, yeah yeah so it's a little bit um um but i don't even see those but the, i know i want we've watched all of those and and they were really well done hmm. okay um one final question then we're gonna take a quick break um for one more sponsor but um what do you do when you want to move? The, let's, I don't, we can have a whole show about this. So just kind of maybe give one or two tips in like one minute or something, if you can. Do you have any tips for moving from narration into writing more intentionally? Like if a kid does a really good narration and they're really creative and stuff, but when it comes to actually having to get it put on paper, they start to have some difficulty. Um, and the person who asked this, I think has, as I recall, I think has has a boy who is like maybe a 10 or 11 or something like that and is generally really creative, but just is not, it's not clicking necessarily in the writing. Do you have any advice or would you say just be patient with that and just, it'll come? I would say be patient and it will come, especially if the child's 10 or 11. If you, if it was an older child, there are some things you could do like the lost, um, even if you didn't go full speed ahead into the lost tools of writing, if you did a couple of the first couple lessons where uh, you, they, they learned how to do the, the Annie, um, they can apply that. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure that, um, 
your dad, Andrew Kern, would probably say, well, you got to do it as is. But if you wanted to use the t- it as a tool, um, that first few chapters of The Lost Tools of Writing are very helpful for uh, just as a tool to have for the rest of your life. Um, um, so there's that to, to spur them into thinking more deeply about what they're trying to say. But for a very young child, I would just wait for them to be, a lot of times they don't want to be creative because one of the things you could do is um, you could ask them to tell you what they're going to write before they write it. So Hmm. then they're kind of committed to, um, to what they're going to say. Well, it goes, Sorry, go ahead. I know. <laughs> Where, like whereas when they're writing, they, you know, they're they're like, oh, I don't want to write anymore, so I'm just going to be boring. It's the same principle behind kind of the invention phase and the lost tools of writing, where it's not, you know, you're you're helping them kind of build a template, build some some give them some preparation for what they're going to say. So when they're not, so they're not they're not necessarily having to think about the mechanics of putting something on paper and the ideas at the same time, you're giving them a chance to kind of formulate ideas and then put it on the paper. And for kids who are new to writing, sometimes the mechanics of shaping words and sentences and all that can be frustrating. I mean, honestly, when I write, I'm still frustrated by like trying to make a sentence sound good and get my idea across at the same time. And so if I've I've prepared the idea ahead of time, it helps me get the sentence out more easily. Um, yeah. So yeah. So basically, if they really had trouble getting it on paper, just get an oral narration for them, and now say, then they and say, now, okay, there. That's what you're going to write. Just write that down. Now, um, they might have done you know more in the oral narration than they actually write down. But if you're if they're only ten or eleven, I would not panic. I would get Karen Glass's book Know and Tell, and I would look at these samples in there, and it will make you feel a lot better because you can see children progressing from just really really short terse. Um, I, I, you can tell I don't like writing <laughs> to um, um, uh, progressing to doing better and better and better. And I I know that works and I've seen it over and over again, but I know how panicky you feel when you see a, a really awful narration that your child has just written down and you know it's terrible. Hmm. Um, um, it's just something you just have to be patient with. Hmm. Okay, I got a few more questions for you, but first, I just need to say a quick word from our friends over at uh, Duke University's Arite Initiative. Um, we've talked about this a little bit on the network this month from uh, about how from July 9th to the 14th, they're going to be hosting a high school summer seminar on ethics, philosophy, and religion on their campus in Durham, North Carolina. And the seminar will prepare high school students with a roadmap for approaching those same subjects in college. They'll be using texts from literature, philosophy, and theology. And the, sem- the seminar will examine such topics as the meaning of virtue, the substance of human nature, the questions of human flourishing, the metaphysics of reality and the nature of truth. And students will also discuss the ideas of natural law, the relationship between philosophy and theology, and the relationship between science and religion. This seminar is co-taught by several Duke uh, instructors and professors and is open to current high school students entering their junior or senior years. Uh, there is no fee associated with applying or attending, and the students who are admitted will be housed in Duke dormitories and provided with meal cards as well. So that's a pretty good deal uh, as far as the financial aspect of it goes. Students who are interested in applying should email John Rose at john.rose at duke.edu. That's J-O-H-N dot R-O-S-E at duke.edu. And applications will be considered on a rolling basis until April 26th of this month. So again, that's June 9th through the 14th in Durham, North Carolina. There's no cost and it's john.rose at duke.edu. So if you're interested in something uh, like that to kind of prepare your students for college or give them a preview of what that's going to be like, or just have students who might be interested in talking about some big ideas like that, this uh, might be a great option for you. So if you have any questions about, you know, some things like the worldview or uh, logistical issues, things like that, feel free to email uh, John Rose, and he'll be able to help you out with that. Okay, couple, couple, couple of questions here to to conclude the show. Okay. All right. It's called Shakespeare: The Animated Tales. <laughs> Shakespeare: The Animated Tales. All right. Yeah. So I should have done the ad read earlier while you were looking for that. Um, give you. I should have given you given you a break there for a second. Okay. Um, this is a question from um, from someone who I who who I know quite well, and she wants to know how you homeschooled while always being pregnant. <laughs> he says sometimes she feels like she can't do anything except curl up in a ball curl up in a ball on the couch. Yeah, me too. That that was how I homeschooled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just did it on the ball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean no definitely I mean the thing is and and 
it, this isn't going to help. And, it, and when I say this too shall pass, but um, it, it, you just have to count on the fact that one, um, one good year of homeschooling can make up for other, some bad years. And if you feel good and you can get some good homeschooling in, then do it. And then when you're, when you're having a hard time and when you're pregnant, I mean, the more you can get your children to do, you know, the lists, give them the list, they, they can work from the list, have morning time when, you know, morning time is, was kind of my way of curling up in a ball on the couch with the kids and keeping Mm -hmm. them nearby so that we, we could actually learn at that time. Sometimes though, I fell asleep. Sometimes I fell asleep on the couch when I'm supposed to be homeschooling my children. And so I've heard people say they can't read aloud to their kids because they fall asleep while they're reading aloud. So, so it's just definitely very difficult. I mean, you you know, you have those maybe three middle months where you can make hay while the sun shines and then, and then things get kind of hard again. And, um, I, I heard I, a mom recently said that on the page about, um, you know, you kind of panic cause you're pregnant and you're, you're just thinking, Oh, yeah. life is terrible. I can't get anything done. Look at this. I'm, and then to me, when the baby was born and I think there is, this is my son says, I like to pretend like I'm a scientist or a doctor cause I hear random <laughs> facts and I pass them along. But I heard this, but <laughs> you do have more creative hormones when you're after you've had the baby and, and you're nursing the baby. I don't, I don't know if you're not nursing the baby, whether you get those same hormones or not. I'm not sure where they come from, in other words. But, <laughs> but it, after you have the baby is often a good time um, to, um, if, if you're not excessively fatigued, um, yeah, it's yeah. often, you often have more energy and you feel better and you can get uh, a, a lot of creative stuff done at that point, so, especially before the baby actually moves. You know, when you have your first baby, right, you're right. roll, roll, move, move. And your other babies, you're like, just please don't go anywhere. Just stay there if, until you're yeah. here at least. Yeah, and, uh, tether, stay tethered down for a while. Yes. <laughs> uh, do you, um, would you do things like maybe rely on, I don't know, audiobooks or things like that a, a little more than normal if, if you were falling asleep? reading aloud or something like that would you just say don't feel guilty about using audiobooks or would you say I would not I don't know Uh, that's a good question and I I really don't have any um I I know a lot of people use a lot of audiobooks and I myself uh read audiobooks frequently so I guess I would I guess I would say yes do that I don't think it harms the child in any way but um I also know that sometimes we use crutches that we don't need. It's easy to use a crutch. So I I don't, I don't say don't use the audiobooks because we do have that. It is a blessing. And, and many things were meant to be heard. We, you know, we were meant to hear things and, and respond to hearing because in the history of the world, most people couldn't read. Um, so, so stories can come to us through our ears very well. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I would say that. I didn't do that because I didn't really have audiobooks. Right. But, um, you know, I, I wouldn't only do that because what? I wouldn't want to hinder the relationships that you build with your children. Hmm. But yeah. I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about, I mean, what if you have kids who may like, if you have older kids, they can p- perhaps help with younger kids. Oh, absolutely. You know, yes. With the reading aloud or with helping with work or whatever. What if you don't have kids who are, um, you know, not, not of that age yet, but I mean, could you, I mean, would you rely on more, I don't know, things that are more crafty or things that even younger kids can do more independently? Like, if, like I mean, I would let my or... kids play more. I would just let them play more if they can't, okay. if they didn't, if we can't, I would do as much school as we could possibly do. And then I would let them play and I would not feel guilty about letting them play because play is their work and they learn that's where they apply all the things and you'll see it. You'll see that they are playing. If you're reading to them even a little bit, that's what they're going to play, especially if they're not getting a lot of other stimulation, if they're not sitting on YouTube all day or, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, It's hard for me to judge because the world has changed drastically and I wasn't in that position where I had so many things that entertain my children. But I do think that if a child is playing and, and with, and there are no electronics involved that, that I wouldn't feel guilty about that at all. I would be very thrilled. I think that's a positive, um, that's a positive thing in that child's life. If that child is too young to do work on it, it, his own, 
then he he is perfectly in the age range where playing is is learning. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, uh, <clears throat> two more, and then we and then I'll let you go. If you got time for two more? Yeah, sure. Okay, so this I'm is going. I will tell you, I'm on my way to my son's getting inducted, Alex, into the National Honor Society. So, oh, nice! I'm excited about that. Now nice. I brag three times. <laughs> you, yeah, but you bragged about him. Yeah, uh, you, bra- right. you bragged on his behalf. Yes. Uh, congratulations right. to Alex. You said. Yes, Alex. That's that's awesome. Congratulations to Alex. Thank you. Um, I'll tell. Okay, you. so this question um, comes from another friend of mine. Uh, she wants to know um, what do you. Uh, she wants to know if you kept all your kids separate in the years of Ambleside. Um, because she points out that all the reading aloud is kind of impossible. And so she feels like she has to combine the kids who are close in age. So she's got, you know, several kids who are really close in age. Um, but all the Ambleside people recommend, recommend not combining. She, she says, so she's wondering what she should do there. What you did there. Um, I I would, I'm guessing that you're going to say, well, what I did isn't necessarily what everybody should do, but, um, what did you do there with kids who are close in age? Um, what I did was I had um, three or four of the, uh, the spine books that Ambleside has. Um, I just had them ongoing in a reading rotation. So This Country of Ours, Our Island Story, English Literature for Boys and Girls, and I think there was one more. And they were constantly on auto-rotate in my family, auto-rotate, auto-rotate, constantly mm. being read aloud at one time or another in morning time, usually one and then another and then another, then start over. Um, so those books were not on their individual list. So when they came to that uh, reading, they didn't do that because we were doing morning time with those books. And, and, and that is where I became very, very comfortable not stressing over whether the time period I was reading aloud about in morning time was the same time period that maybe they were getting other reading materials on. Um, I found that to be a plus, not a minus, because they were start making connections across the, the time period. So I, I did at one point have two of my children in the same year of Ambleside together. Exactly. And I, I will say that because of the competition factor between those two children uh, and one being, you know, the younger is not necessarily being as advanced uh, or the older not being as advanced as the younger, that that created a necessary stress with those children and I kind of wish I hadn't done that Hmm. but um as far as now as far as uh making up uh uh over arcing uh view of Ambleside I did do it where some of the books I used as a group and then some were individual they were in individual years Hmm. okay Okay. And I just made up my own way to do that. The out of necessity, because in a large family, you can't, um, you're not going to read aloud all the read alouds. Like if you put all your children in a different year of sunlight and, and that makes it like you have 12 read alouds a year or 10, now you have 40 read alouds a year. Well, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. I, I, I usually a good year you have, you can, on a very good year, you generally can read aloud about 20 books on a very good year. Hmm. Um, and I mean, some will be longer than others, sure. but, um, but you you have to do that. If you have a large family, you have to find a way to, um, put some of it together and do some of it separately. Yeah. So don't feel guilty if you have to combine some things as well. Oh, absolutely. Do not feel guilty. Do what works for your family. I know they created, I know Leslie was on and she talked about that's why they created the Ambleside for groups. And um, if you, if your family is a group, then you're going to have to make, you're going to have to adapt um, uh, to that group, whether that is the mm-hmm. right way to do it or not, or that's the way it designed. Um, you know, that, that's just, that's just what worked for me. I couldn't have made it. I know for a fact it wouldn't have worked if I was trying to do it. I made it work the way I had to make it work. And that's what moms need to do. They need to make it work for them in their situation. Well, you know, our last question actually has something to do with that. Um, the idea of making things sort of work within your specific context. Because um, actually today at lunch, um, Matt Bianco, who, who works here, um, he and I were talking about the idea that sometimes you'll be 
you'll be looking online or you'll hear some speaker speak or you'll be on Pinterest or whatever, and you'll get all these great ideas or you'll see so many great ideas. And it's a little overwhelming that this speaker says this and then the other speaker says something slightly different, but then this other speaker says something similar, but it, you know, it's really awesome. And then there's 14 amazing ideas on Pinterest and, mm. and, um, or on this blog or, or whatever, you know, there's so many good ideas out there, but you can only adapt so many of them. And if you try to do too many, you're not going to do any of them very well. Um, and so do you have any advice for just the kind of questions you can ask when you're trying to decide whether something is, would be right for your family? Like whether, you know, this great idea would be right, or this, this difficult thing that might be a good idea would be right for your specific situation, your specific family. I know that you can't give advice for everybody on that because of the nature of the question, but are there like types of questions or ways of thinking about it that could help uh, moms out there sort through all the options that are available to them? Yeah, I mean, it is overwhelming. And then there's so many voices saying, well, if you want to be in our club, then you have to do it our way. First off, I would just say, poo, you're not, <laughs> you can't do it that way, especially if you have a large family. You can't do it the way everybody else is doing it or the perfect way. Um, there are many, many benefits for each kind of family we have. If you have a child and you have an only fa- a child, that there are benefits to that child for being an only child. Those are your benefits that you get to have because you have an only child. It, it, there's also some negative things about that. And, 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 and yeah, so if you have a large family, same thing, you have, there are some great benefits to having a large family and there's some things you aren't going to be able to do. You're not going to have the money for, you're not, there's just so many factors that come in, into it. And, and, and if you, number one, I'd ask myself, is this making me discontent? Is this making huh. me feel like I don't have enough or that, that, um, I, I can't, I, I can't do it without something that I don't have. If it requires something that God hasn't given you, then just, you need to dismiss it and not use it because, um, you don't have the, what you need to do that particular thing. For instance, money to put your child in certain classes. You can make a case for all kinds of things that are good, but they don't fit into your circumstances. And so it doesn't do any good for someone to come along and say, well, everybody should do this. It used to make me mad when people would say, oh, people would all the time who had conferences and Cersei was never like like this, but they, they would be like, you, you, everybody should go to conferences. Well, if you can't, many, many people can't go to conferences. They don't have babysitting. Yeah. They don't have money. They just don't have that ability. And they don't have to feel like you, there, there are people that will say things like, do whatever it takes to get to a conference. Well, that's just that's just a voice you don't need to be listening to. You don't need to be listening to people who tell you to do things that you can't do. And so if it, if you're, if it causes you to have a lack of contentment and an acceptance for where you are, because there are going to be positives about the place that God has placed you. Maybe you're living way out in the country and you can't go into co-op all the time. Well, that's a negative and a positive. So look at the positive side of it. There are going to be all kinds of things like that, that either you're going to be a miserable person because of the things you can't do, or you're going to learn to accept um, that, that you, you're not going to fit into somebody else's perfect model of things. And, and besides contentment, I think the other thing would be anxiety. If it causes you anxiety, then you need to think twice about doing it. If it's something that you can do that's going to be, bring peace to your home, this is the wonderful thing about reading aloud and, and doing some of these very, very sim- simple things. You know, I was reading a book about this school in St. Louis and how terrible the school was, and, 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 and it's a wonderful book um, talking about inner city schools and what we can do about them, and it's a, it's a thing that's close to my heart. But they were, they were saying their library's all torn, torn down, and they need money for a new library, and they they have only 7,000 books in that library. And I thought to myself, if all those kids, if somebody could just take those kids to that library, then that school really would have everything it needed to educate those children because it would have books. It did have books. It had something that it could have used for the education of those children. And yet it was right in front of everybody's face and nobody could see it. So really when it all comes down to it, there's so very little that we really need. I mean, we have the out doors um, in some way. I mean, even if all we have is an open window with a breeze, um, that's something. 
and we have and we have books and we have uh, we we really just have too much we're just really discontented people because we're just mm. over, we're just over there's just too much we're just often we're just we just have um too many too many good things one of the things that Matt and I were talking about is that it's so easy to kind of get roped into or to hearing some voice saying you have to do this. And like that generates so much stress in us that we actually feel like, Oh no, we really have to do it. When what that person might've been saying in with maybe a little bit of hyperbole or exaggeration is this was really awesome for me. And I'd really encourage everyone to do it, you know, but yes. that we, because we're so stressed about having the perfect homeschool or having the perfect situation for our kids, we, it immediately causes us this, like this tension inside of us that we have to add one more thing when just, because it works for someone else, you know, we don't, doesn't necessarily mean it would work for us. And we can be glad that that person's excited about it or file it away for some time later when it might work. But, you know, we yes, have to kind of exactly. Yeah. That's a really the... good point. Yeah. There's seasons in life and this might yeah. not be the season for beautiful nature notebooks in your family. Maybe yeah. it's all you can do to get out the back door and <laughs> let everybody, you know, go outside in the grass and their bare feet or something. But um, and we can, I think there's a difference too, between like balancing what someone's recommending or saying this was great for yeah, me and also viewing yeah. them as like an authority. Yeah, I think that's what happens a lot. I mean, there are people that speak with authority. I know I sometimes have a tendency to speak with authority. I don't know what that is. I was the oldest child or something. So, and there's a lot of people out there doing that. And if, if we don't measure that in our mind as they, this is, they're speaking confidently, but they aren't telling me what to do because I'm an autonomous human being that gets to make my own choices. We can feel, I think that with the insecure, and I guess moms are just totally insecure because we feel like so much is at stake. We want so badly to have this, you know, yeah. to do the best for our children. If someone says this is the best, then we're very vulnerable to be taken advantage of because of that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, Thank you for your advice on this show. I'm going to let you go. Um, thank you. We got through several, we got through almost all the questions, all but one of the questions that I had. And we can oh, say great, great. For episode, <laughs> We'll have another episode. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for uh, sharing some wisdom and some of your experience and congratulations to Alex. Anything else you want to brag about before we go? Yeah, I know. I think I've exceeded <laughs> all my bragging. can't think of uh, one. Th I have not lost any weight, if that makes anybody feel better. <laughs> Yeah, but have you read any more good books? Yeah, I, I've read some good diet books, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people can probably uh, identify. Um, well, uh, again, thank you. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. Uh, if you have questions for a future episode, feel free to get in touch with us. Cindy's email is cindy at ordo-amoris.com. Mine is david at cerceinstitute.com. And of course, you can find us over on the Mere Motherhood group on Facebook. Just type in Mere Motherhood in the search bar on your Facebook page. Um, and thank you to... Uh, Duke, uh, Duke University's Arete Initiative. If you want to learn more about that, you can email john.rose at duke.edu. And thanks also to the Templeton Honors College. If you want to learn about their Tolkien programs this summer, head over to templetonhonorscollege.com slash summer. So thanks to both of them for making this show possible. Of course, thanks to everyone who's been listening. Uh, this has been another episode of the Mason Jar on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time.